Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is June 22nd. Today we're going to continue in this week's Come Follow Me block and we're going to continue our journey to Calvary and to see what happened there. Now before we get into that, the scriptures call the place of the crucifixion Golgotha, which was Aramaic for Calvary. Luke actually uses the name Calvary too. But it's interesting because there are actually two kind of proposed ideas for where Golgotha was. The traditional spot for it, or the first proposed spot for it. But then in the 19th century, it was proposed that there was an alternate spot. And oftentimes it's called Gordon's Calvary. And most biblical scholars that I know actually believe that Golgotha was the second proposed place for a couple of reasons. First, church leaders have talked about Gordon's Calvary as if it was the spot where the Savior was crucified. But the other reason is this Golgotha, that second Golgotha, has another name in Hebrew, and that is Mount Moriah. Does that name sound familiar? Does it ring a bell? Mount Moriah is where Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed. And so what better place for a God who is rich in symbolism and often teaches in symbolism, what better place for the Savior to be led to? What better place for the Savior to be crucified than on Mount Moriah, where the father of many nations in the Old Testament took his son to sacrifice him in the Old Testament? And the father of all nations allowed his son to be taken in the New Testament for you and I. So after the scourging and after Pilate releases the Savior, the cross is placed upon the Savior's back. Now, it wasn't the full cross. It didn't have the downwards beam, but the crossbar was laid across his shoulder and he was tied to it as he was expected to carry his own cross up the hill. We see in Luke 23 that as he was walking and as he was trying to get up the hill, he was stumbling and having a hard time under the weight. And so a man named Simon the Cyrenian carried that cross for the Savior. Now, it's interesting. We don't know anything else about this Simon, but we can assume that he was a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ, one who loved him and wanted to help and serve and bless him in these dark moments. It's during this difficult trek that the Savior turns and sees the women weeping for him. And he says, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Now, that is a really, really interesting thing for the Savior to say, especially in this culture. Remember, Abraham's wife and the devastation when she couldn't have children. In this culture, in this Jewish culture, the idea of being barren was just so awful. And so for the Savior to say, oh, blessed are they who are barren and who can't have children. This is how Elder Talmadge said it. He said, it was the Lord's last testimony of the impending destruction that was to follow the nation's rejection of her king. Although motherhood was the glory of every Jewish woman's life, yet in the terrible scenes which many of those there weeping would live to witness, barrenness would be accounted a blessing, for the childless would have fewer to weep over, and at least would be spared the horror of seeing their offspring die of starvation or by violence. So this prophecy of the Savior is really, really powerful. And so the Savior gets to Calvary and is crucified there. Now, 
I don't want to get too much into the details of crucifixion, but I do think it's important to understand what it really entailed and what it actually looked like without getting gruesome. I want to explain a little bit about it. Keep in mind, the Savior's back was probably torn up and even probably his torso quite a bit from the scourging that he had received. And so when they get to Calvary and they lay him upon a wooden cross, the pain that that must have caused, I can't even begin to imagine. Oftentimes when we see pictures of the cross depicted, the Savior is hanging high up in the air. But more often than not, with a Roman crucifixion, they would keep the cross lower so that people who passed by could strike or spit on the people on the cross. And so he was probably a little bit lower to the ground, maybe a foot or so off the ground, enough off the ground so that there would be plenty of pressure on his arms, hands, and wrists and also on his feet. There, once the Savior is stretched out on the cross, they would have driven nails into his hands and into his wrists. There, in his wrists, the nails would have put pressure on his Midian nerves, meaning as he hung there, it wasn't just the pain of the nail going through there, it was the pain of the nail pressing up against nerves that would have shot pain up through his entire arms and into his shoulders. Similar would have happened in his feet, they would have placed the nail between some of the bones of the feet, and there most likely would have been nerves there as well. Now, when we hear about the crucifixion and the things that happen, it makes sense that the word excruciating comes from crucifixion. In fact, the word excruciating means out of the cross. Excruciating pain came out of the cross. And so that's the kind of pain that we're talking about here. And it would have been pain from which there was no relief. You could use your arms to brace yourself more, but eventually your arms would seize and convulse. And so you'd have to push up on your feet and eventually your feet and legs would seize and convulse. Keep in mind with the scourging, there was lots of internal bleeding and damage to the lungs, possibly even swelling around the heart. And so really... The Savior's time on the cross was a time of just trying to relieve pressure enough to be able to catch a breath. Scientists have explained that in this situation and in these positions, it wasn't so much breathing in that was the problem, it was being able to exhale. It's almost like, have you ever cried so hard that all you can do is breathe in until your lungs are just burning and then finally you're able to exhale? It would have been a similar thing. He would have been able to take small, shallow breaths in but would have had a really, really hard time getting that breath back out. And so that burning pain that he would have experienced, the cramping, the asphyxiation, the pressure on his heart, it just would have been more than I think you and I can even begin to fathom or understand. President Hinckley once said, No member of this church must ever forget the terrible price paid by our Redeemer, who gave his life that all men might live, the agony of Gethsemane, the bitter mockery of his trial, the vicious crown of thorns tearing at his flesh, the blood cry of the mob before Pilate, the lonely burden of his heavy walk along the way to Calvary, the terrifying pain as great nails pierced his hands and feet, the fevered torture of his body as he hung that tragic day, the Son of God crying out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This was the cross, the instrument of his torture, the terrible device designed to destroy the man of peace, 
the evil recompense for his miraculous work of healing the sick, of causing the blind to see, of raising the dead. This was the cross on which he hung and died on Golgotha's lonely summit. We cannot forget that. We must never forget that. My friends, I know that today was heavy as we contemplated that painful price that the Savior paid on the cross. But tomorrow we'll talk about the words that he spoke there and what we can learn in his last mortal hours. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen.